This is the Ignition Show, an after-show edition. Hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to the Ignition Show. I'm Chris Jansen, host of the Ignition Show, and today is what we call our after-show. It's a special episode where we look back at the most recent interview and pull it apart to see how the ideas have impacted us. Us, by the way, refers to my wife and business partner, Sarah, and I. We're learning too, and not only have we created this podcast to help provoke, inspire, and fuel your greatness, but we're on our own journey. We want to learn and grow as individuals and as a couple, and we're human too. We have days and moments when we're crushing it and plenty of moments when we're not. So the After Show episodes are here to deepen the learning, deepen our application of the ideas, and to accelerate our collective route to our greatest aspirations and an extraordinary life. We're excited to be on this journey with you side by side, moving forward with the entire Ignition Show community. It's time to ignite the spark within you. So let's get to the episode. Today, Sarah and I are going to discuss what we learned and what stood out for us in the episode, The Hidden Source of Your Greatest Stress with Jay Ellard. We'd love to hear what stood out for you too. So please go to our Facebook group and join if you haven't yet and let us know what you learned from Jay that impacted you. You ready, Sarah? I am. Let's dive in. What do you got? All right, let's do this. So I think the first takeaway for me was just, and we see this time and time again, how your mess is your message. And Jay came to the place of working on stress and awareness from working in corporate and being so stressed out that she collapsed. She literally like passed out. Hot summer's night. Hot summer night, passed out to the point where her doctor, when she went later to see the doctor, advised her to quit working because it was causing too much stress. And I mean, we see this time and time again, but she's, she's gone deep into the world of what stresses people out and how to bring them back through awareness. But she mentioned, she's like, at the time, she didn't even know there was another way to live that this, this lifestyle had been modeled for her through, you know, fourth generation entrepreneur. Um, There was no talk or a, or thought about work-life balance, which we hear predominantly in the workforce today and just in life in general. But it made me reflect on my own career. I worked for 10 plus years in in corporate, often working long hours, or if there was a launch, it was 12 plus days. And truly, because you're surrounded by those, the same people, those overachievers, same people doing the same thing you are, I didn't realize there was another way of living until I left corporate. And then it was almost jarring how slow a pace life could be or, and and is for other people. And I think that was the the very first thing that kind of endeared Jay to me was that similarity is like, you, you just don't realize that there's another way to live. Yeah. I asked her in the conversation about what she sees about the blind spots for leaders and Clearly, that was a blind spot for her and with full compassion for, for that situation. Um, and I often talk about in my workshops about the boiling frog metaphor, right? Where you put the frog in the water and then warm the water up. <coughs> and um, and the, you adapt to your environment, like the frog in the water. You adapt to your environment, not fully appreciating the consequences. And similar to you, when I left my last corporate work, um, I've been in the company for five years, been in the industry for 15 years. And literally in the first two weeks of being away from the job, I could look back and say, wow, I really, it wasn't less about stress, but it was more about, wow, I was really caught in a certain rut or way of thinking or way of doing my work that I just had a totally different perspective. 
And sometimes that's all it takes to get a different perspective on your stressors or what those, what those blind spots are. Completely. Yeah, completely. And she's made her, her life's work now teaching other people in corporate environments about awareness. And what I loved about everything she said is that she makes it so practical. I mean, every, every example she used, I could relate to, or I could see in others, or I could see in myself 10 years ago. And a lot of it is just the awareness of being aware of what we're doing. So it's not this massive, you know, really difficult, complicated thing to do. She was saying, sometimes it's just being aware that you're not being aware right now. Which is a bit of, obviously, a bit of a conundrum there. If you're not aware, how are you aware that you're not aware? Well, and I reflected on this. At least that's a reaction people can have. Oh, completely. And I, I reflected on this in my own life. And I was thinking, you know, it's one thing when I'm in the state of awareness and I'm, you know, I can get myself in, in that state and be like, okay, now I'm, I'm twisting off the jar of the lid. I'm, you know, I'm removing the mayonnaise from the jar and, you know, I can, as Eckhart Tolle, you know, you can, you can monitor every single movement, you know, what are my thoughts? And that, that happens, I can get there, but it's few and far between. Most of my life, and I would say most of people's life, we're just running on a state of, you know, unconscious doing. And Jay's reflection and her advice is, those are the times, like if we just did one thing, those would be the times if we could just um, monitor or get ourselves out of that unconscious doing and be aware that we're not being aware, that's the biggest benefit that we could have. And the, the simple example that comes up for me with that is, you know, uh, sitting here working in the office, doing some things on the computer for, for you know, a few hours. And we've probably all had that experience where you realize that you're kind of, I suddenly wake up, kind of, kind of quote unquote, wake up, that I've been staring at that paragraph for a while, or I'm incessantly refreshing my emails when I should be doing something else, and it's like, wow, I just kind of, I've been sitting here thinking, but I've been kind of blacked out for the last few minutes, if not five minutes, um, of like, what, am I, what am I really supposed to be doing here? Like, what is my priority of this day? What am I trying to get done this day? And why am I clicking on that window right now? Because it has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Well, and this is this made me, you know, it makes me think of last night. I was on the computer late into the evening, and I think it was like 10.30, you came by my office. And just as you came to the door, I realized what I must look like to you. I had this jolt of awareness. And I, I kind of did a little scan of my facial expression. I'm like, Oh my God, I am bug-eyed staring at this screen. Sitting, sitting zombie. <laughs> a total sitting zombie. But it took, it took you coming to the doorway for me to stop and take an assessment of myself. So yeah, it was everything Jay says completely resonated with me. The main thing that, um, as I mentioned in the episode, the, the main reason I know Jay, thought of Jay, wanted to talk to Jay was from that moment in Calgary, Alberta, when I was sitting in that boardroom, or the, the conference room, and my colleague made that statement that came from Jay, that the greatest source of stress is from conversations you're not having. Yeah, right what now. a powerful statement. Such a powerful statement, and, and when he said that, and when she said that, and she talks about it in her book, and I look back at, at whatever stresses I might be having on that week, and all of them, all of them I could relate to a conversation I'm not having. That could be 
a conversation with that person that I'm waiting for something on and I, 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 I'm stressed because I don't have it yet, but I just need to, I haven't asked, you know, when to expect it or, um, you know, following up with a client that I'm working on that um, I either feel like I'm running behind on and just haven't told them that I'm running behind. So all this was about all up and, and, and it really did. It allowed me to kind of quickly scan what else, what, you know, what is causing some angst or some, some, uh, some stress in my body and every single one I could relate back to a conversation, which was, which was eye opening that it could be, you could pinpoint to that, that, that directly. And the flip side is the immediately thought I immediately thought I go to is what if I had that conversation and I can almost immediately feel my body relax. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes, I mean, when I think of conversations, I, I'm not having a lot of the time it's because I'm not sure how to handle that situation. And she mentions in her work with, um, in corporate environments, she sees so many leaders and managers who really care about their people, but they either feel torn in a million different ways, either, you know, torn to put, you know, walk the company line, but they see that their, their people are suffering for it, but they're, they're not really sure how to deal with, with the human component of managing people. So they avoid those conversations. And sorry. And when she talked about the underlying grief, I thought it was so interesting the use of that word there. Yeah. So interesting. Because you don't you don't really well, I don't associate grief with middle managers or leaders at companies. But she sees it predominantly with with leaders at corporations. Yeah, and I, at first I thought, okay, that's a, it's a, it's a strong word. It's an interesting context for using that word. But when you actually think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like the emotional turmoil that comes from the grief that we perhaps put on ourselves um, comes from those conversations that aren't being had or and why, you're not having, why you're not having those conversations often is they are uncomfortable. And in many of the workshops that I've done recently, we get into that conversation about how the fact that Avoiding difficult calm conversations is such a common um, um, behavior that really does harm harm people. It harms performance. It undermines the energy of people to keep going at what they're going at, and it can be a very debilitating pattern to fall into. Flip side, it can be a, it can actually be a very easy skill to develop. A, yeah, very straightforward skill to develop. Well, and I think of those conversations that I'm avoiding because I'm not sure how to handle them. Even just like you, even the thought of starting the conversation and just seeing how it unfolds and just being honest and vulnerable and authentic often has a positive outcome. But all of this actually, as I was listening to the interview, made me think of an interview you did quite recently with um, Shirzad's Shamin and how we had taken the assessment of what are our saboteurs. And one of yours was, I think, avoider. And one of mine was controller. And I'm like, oh, that totally relates to what Jay is saying now, because that's, that's causing us stress, is I'm trying to control a situation because I'm afraid of... Trying to control me? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that goes down really well. Really well. Sometimes. But it's because I'm afraid of how someone else is going to react or I'm afraid and, and and Jay talks about this oftentimes our controlling attitudes come out 
when it's really underlined by by fear or stress or or something else. Um, so it made me. It's funny how those two your two interviews um, coincided for me there. Yeah, and the um, she talked about uh, the control. You know, when 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 stressed, seeking control. There's a, there's a role for compassion in that as well. And we got in the conversation about uh, masking emotions or you know secondary emotions and. You and I were just talking before we got on the on the record recording this episode here. That when I a handful of years ago, I can't pinpoint exactly what the situation was, where I had that realization or awareness or understanding that anger, specifically anger, is always a secondary emotion. Now explain that because just a secondary emotion makes it makes me think that it comes second to something else. Well, it's a, it's a secondary emotion because it's the reaction to the real emotion. The real emotion that usually underpins anger is hurt or fear or worry, right? There's some version of that. There's obviously levels of intensity of that. Right. And as uh, Jay mentioned, like fear of not being loved or fear of not being enough as, yeah. as two main fears, and then they're expressed as anger. Exactly. And again, example, using a corporate example, there's a big deadline coming up. The manager is expecting his team to deliver. The manager flips out, gets angry because they haven't delivered. Right now, it's not just being driven for business results. What usually, and every situation is different, but what usually would underpin that anger is there a fear that that will be perceived that either the team isn't good enough or is incompetent or is failing to meet objectives, which then reflects on the manager that he's not good enough or not a good enough leader or they're not following him. And if you really drill down, it's always something that's related to us internally. And so when, under when you understand that anger is a secondary emotion, how that becomes empowering to me is that when I come across or I'm coaching someone who gets angry a lot, you can you can bring compassion to that. Mm. You know, it's like you know, someone that I follow a fair amount is um, Joe Polish in the world of business and marketing under, um, entrepreneurship. He's doing a lot of work in the world of addicts. He's got a, a history there himself. And he's trying to train, change the world's conversation with addicts uh, rather than saying there's something they're broken. But the um, but seeing it as as compassion. Well, and I think it goes both ways. Is having compassionate with compassion with that person who's demonstrating anger, because you know that there's something underlying that anger that's it that's most often fear based. Yeah. But also having compassion with yourself if you're the one displaying uh, displaying anger, and and Jay talks about this having compassion with yourself. To realize that there's something underlying underlying that, and it's often fear. And just even the example you gave with the the boss getting angry at his team because or her team because they they're not likely to meet a deadline. As you were explain, as you were describing that, it made me think of parents who get angry at their kids, mm -hmm. and it's not because the behavior of the kids is necessarily anger provoking, but oftentimes because the parents are afraid that it's going to reflect poorly on them, that they're not Absolutely. a good enough parent or, or they'll lose the love of their peers or, or the kid even, and therefore they get angry. Absolutely. Or even in those quiet moments when you get angry at your kids, there's on some level, usually, again, every situation is different, but usually it's a, I don't know how to you know, control or manage or address the situation. And when you're tired and when you've got other stresses going on, it can be a very quick shortcut to feel strong again 
And anger is often also a symptom of feeling fearful, weak, unsure, and bring some certainty and some strength to the, to you. But it rarely, if ever, gets you the gets the result that you're after. Correct. Yeah, and a good reminder to us as we are soon to be parents ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be perfect parents. <laughs> Not. Um, the other thing that I guess that, that I really liked in terms of the, the practicality of what, what Jay addressed was the, um, you know, when you are stressed, her, her kind of three-step process of taking three to five minutes and really get clear on what is stressing me out, being very, very specific, step number one. Yeah, get very, very clear on what's stressing, her, what's stressing you out. And the step number two was, was again, what, what are the conversations you're not having? as it relates to that situation. And number three was, how can I take care of myself when I'm stressed? Which is hard to, you know, you're not unlikely to come up with a clear answer in the moment of being stressed. But it's a great thing to think about. What, what, um, let me ask you, since I'm just thinking about this in the moment, how do you think you, and I'll answer the same, how do you think you could take better care of yourself when you're stressed? Well, you know what? I mean, I love that Jay explained what's happening when we get stressed we get in, we go into survival mode which means we're not breathing as deeply as we should be we're just like if you're running away from danger your whole body um reacts that way so part of the way of getting out of stress is to find an activity or a mindset that will allow you to breathe in a more in a deeper way so if i put it in that context then it makes sense why having a nap or meditating or for me, it's even better if I go to yoga. If I'm really, really stressed, I actually need that guidance, that person at the front of the room guiding me to that place of breathing deeply. Um, but it, it, or laughing is a great example, you know, being, being around friends or if, if you're all alone putting on that funny movie that you know is going to make you laugh. These are all great ways that I find calm me down, but I love that Jay explained why they calm me down. Mm. Uh, I had this exact conversation with a client of mine in Atlanta last week, uh, and it was sharing something that I had learned recently, that when you really understand the neurochemicals of survival emotions, right? again, anger, anxiety, whatever it is, and you really understand the neurochemicals, of deep laughter, what you would actually do in the moment, and I have actually practiced this, is when I find myself really irritated about something, I will fake a huge belly laugh to the point where it actually feels like I'm really, like it's a genuine laugh. And it takes probably all of about, somewhere between eight to 15 seconds, and I no longer feel irritated. Hmm. Like it, is, it is as direct as that, you don't have to, great to spend an evening watching a, a movie or going for a long walk or going for a full exercise class. But in eight to 10 seconds, you can change your state. And that is what is becoming uh, emotionally fit and mastering your emotions is a real, um, real, real demonstration of how quickly we can change. Hmm. No, that's a great example. I think the, the only other thing that I would mention that really stood out for me in this episode is, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we haven't even touched on, so it's worthwhile listening to the full interview. But the other thing that came came through for me is that what causes stress in our life, and oftentimes it's because it's our it's our mindset or our behaviors 
that aren't aligned with our true values. So Jay actually recommends that when you're feeling stressed, it's usually because something that we feel we need to do is unpleasant to us. So how can you either, and you and, you and she had a great conversation about how can you either reframe what meaning you give that behavior or that attitude to make it become more pleasant, or how do you eliminate, eliminate it from your life? And Jay was just giving very simple, practical examples of, you know, creating a list of all your values and getting clear on what you value in life, and then taking a look at what you do or how you spend your money and seeing if those two things, those two columns align, what you value and, and how you're spending your time or money. And I reflected on my own life. I'm like, oh yeah, because when I get stressed, it's because what I'm valuing isn't aligned with what I feel like I need to do at the time or how I feel I'm spending money. And uh, that was just a, just a great way of taking that perspective that you had talked about, taking that, that step back or get up on the balcony and take an, an assessment of your life and find out why you're stressed. And then going through the examples we just gave of how to get calm and, and how to uh, get yourself back on track. And the example I would just compliment that with, that was a, it was great of her, her insight there, was how much we bring stress on ourselves by calling things stressful. Yes. And I had, uh, I had a coaching client of mine, again, just this past week, share with me that as she reflected on uh, her past couple of weeks, she recognized that she was keeping notes of how she felt through the day because this is an area she wants to work on. And uh, she realized there are numerous times during the week where she calls something stressful. And on reflection, she's looking at that. She says, that's not stressful at all. Right. But she's developed this whole pattern of calling it stressful, which makes her feel stressed. Which I feel is society at large right now. Like stress is an overused word, as you both mentioned in the interview. But you're right. When we really get down to it, it could be maybe it's just an overwhelming task or I'm I'm not sure of what the next steps need to be. So I'm feeling stressed about it or, you know, I've signed myself up for for something that I'm I'm not really into. And so I feel stressed because I feel obligated to do it. But there are so many other more descriptive and more accurate words to use than stressed. Totally. Totally. So as always, we want to make sure that you're listening to this show, that this is good uh, time well spent and that you get the most from the time you've invested here. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learned. And most learning we know is generated from reflection. That's why Sarah and I created this after show for us to reflect, but also to help you reflect. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections on what you learned and found interesting in the main episode or in this after show. So get online, join the community, go to our uh, Facebook group or go to theignitionshow.com slash connect. That's theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you and what it was that you heard today that you really needed to hear today. You can leave us an audio message or participate in the conversation in our Facebook group. We'd love to hear your comments, your follow-up questions, any particular questions you'd like to throw out to the group today, Sarah. You know, I would love to hear because again, it resonated with me so much. Are there things that people are, have been labeling as stressful that on upon reflection are something else great that's question. that's what i would love to hear from people great question great question um and if you want to respond to that question go to our facebook group and let us know or drop us an audio message uh but if you like what you hear in this in the show please do subscribe rate the show or leave a review on itunes it 
truly does help others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, as always, remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen. And I'm Sarah Jansen. And this is The Ignition Show.